Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. It's kind of strange to hear me open up the show, but it's because Serge is missing in action. So in his absence, I have another co-host, Kim Wilkinson. Welcome. Thanks for pitching in for me. Hey, you know what? If we got to pull up the slack for Serge, then that's what I got to do. Well, thank you so much because having the two of us powerhouses on the show, I think Serge might be a little nervous that we don't need him, but (laughs) let's do a pinky swear that will continue to pat him on the head and stroke his male ego. And well, we need you, Serge, because we kind of do. Yeah. He brings that nice (laughs) French Canadian flair. Absolutely. So, hey, what's new in your world, Kim? I hear you've got some exciting news. Yeah, I've been approached by LinkedIn, which is a huge honor. Um, Came across my content and have asked me to speak at a career talk series they're doing. Just in the preparations of that, I think it will be end of April, just finalizing things right now. But uh, exciting and nerve wracking. <laughs> and so <laughs> what's it? Do you have a topic or what have they asked you to speak about? I'm going to speak on personal branding and your job search. It's something that I'm so passionate about and so love sharing that information because I just think it's something that people are not doing enough. And is this a big payday for you? No, this is a zero, a zero dollar payday for me. This is my sweet time, but it's it's an important topic. It's priceless, right? It is going to be price for the listeners, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations. That is super, super exciting news. And I know that both of us were just in the green room talking about how far in advance we are now having to book clients. Yeah. Right. I can't take on anything now, probably until June. We saw it coming, right? We totally did. But we also saw natural gas coming and mortgage rates coming, but no one acted. And so it's just the nature of humans to do nothing with that information. (laughs) Always got to disbelieve, right? There's some conspiracy, like it can't be true. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to introduce the three topics that you and I have decided to cover today. First of all, continuing on with the theme about what is the DNA of a great recruiter? What are some of the characteristics? Then we're going to talk about the best metrics. And is the speed of hiring really kind of overrated? Lastly, I'm going to ask you a bit about this recent trend of recruiters deciding, ah, you know what? I could be a millionaire. I'm going to strike out on my own and become filthy rich being a contract recruiter for hire. And so we'll myth bust a little bit of that. So let's start with our first topic, the DNA of a great recruiter. I love a book written by Tim Sackett. It's called The Talent Fix. Now, we wrote it a few years ago, but it's timeless. It really is. In his book, he talks about what he believes is the key things. And the first thing is connectivity, that great recruiters love to recruit first and foremost, right? And recruiting is really all about connecting with others. And I really love that thinking because we're connecting with the hiring leader, and then we are connected with the candidate community, whether it's in a vertical or, you know, for your employer brand. So do you believe that recruiters need to be that natural connector? Do you see that in yourself? 
Oh, for sure. I often say that recruitment is a lifestyle and it's not a job. You are always recruiting. I have, you know, been at a pottery class, which I have not done since. I don't, don't want to admit to that I, I'm not a potter on, <laughs> on the side, but something so unrelated and mm-hmm. have ended up connecting with the client or chatted with a potential candidate. It is just that you're always on and thinking about who am I meeting? Where do they fit into this mm-hmm. spider web of my life? So right. yeah, you have to be connecting constantly. Immediately, I thought, oh, do they mean the LinkedIn? But I think you put it beautifully, Kim. It's really about just your way of behaving. And it is a lifestyle because it's not that you're always on trying to sell, but people you meet today and staying connected to them somehow, because whether it's six months, six days, or six hours from now, we're in the business, we're going to get wind of potential, like not just clients not and not just candidates. For I sure. believe the whole world is connected somehow. The six oh, degrees sure. of Kevin Bacon. You well, and you never know. I got introduced to a huge client through a, a connected soccer mom, but just in having those conversations and being field side on that and always having that mentality of this is who I am as a human and how can I kind of put all the pieces of my life to, to be successful at this job. Yeah. Do you know, the next thing he talks about is the ability to speak the truth. And I think that is confidence and courage kind of all wrapped into one because if a client has come to you and said, I'm looking to hire a cybersecurity specialist and our pay band is somewhere between 65 and 72,000. Yeah. Can you speak the truth on that, Kim? <laughs> I've been speaking a lot of hard truths lately. And I did a post a while ago on LinkedIn that says recruiter does not equal magician. And so my ability is to connect with people, but I am not going to make up someone who is willing to accept a salary so far out of scope. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You have to be able to say it like it is. It's very much an under-promise, over-deliver type Mm -hmm. space because the second you start over-promising, that's when you get yourself in trouble, I find. (laughs) For, For sure. Being valuable to your hiring leader is to be a trusted advisor, that you will speak the truth. And the truth is what you're looking for doesn't exist. Yeah. Now let's start negotiating, right? Without saying that, but you know, let's walk through what is realistic and where can we get some give and take? Because totally. that's the real value. If they stick to it, that's why the job's been open since last August. Well, right? yeah. Like, and I think that there's recruiters that don't have that confidence or that market knowledge to confidently go and say that to the hiring manager when really you're not doing your job if you're leading them down this path of, yeah, this is a great job when it in in fact is not. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that Tim talks about in his book is a lack of victim mentality. And in my very first recruiting job, I was working with a client who was like, I've heard this pitch 10 times, you staffing people, all you ever do is phone and promise me the world. And you know, my, my gut reaction, Kim, was you're talking about somebody else because this is me, this is now, and I can't be held accountable for something somebody else did that I had nothing to do with. 
And we ended up having a very successful and long business relationship because I wouldn't accept that I am a victim of the market or I'm a victim of the sins of the person before me who didn't fulfill their promise, finding a way to make it happen, but being realistic, right? That ties right back into telling and speaking the truth, right? If you have spoken your truth, then there's less of a chance that you're going to fall victim to that when you know and understand the value that you can bring and, and what's going on in the market, right? So yeah, I think it's when you start over-promising where people are feeling like you're not delivering to where you said or thought that you can fall into that, where if you set clear boundaries for yourself as a professional and where you know you can succeed, then you're less apt, I think, to, to get into that. Mm-hmm. I'll just touch on one more that I think I can certainly relate to. And it goes against what I believe that somebody who can think like a marketer, but can still close a sale, I believe are two very different skill sets and personality types. But Tim Sackett talks about having marketing chops as in always coming up with more ideas, right? Like never just accept this as, oh, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Having marketing chops is more about being a creative thinker. Because the next part of having great ideas is the ability to close the deal. So you can have all these wild ideas, like where are we going to find people? How can we be innovative? But at the end of the day, all those ideas don't really matter if you can't close the candidate or the client. That's what makes recruiting so hard that I don't think people appreciate. It's that mix of that kind of brain and having hired in the staffing industry for years and years, finding that person who could source candidates and could have those candidate conversations, but then also manage that client and their expectations and take things through those difficult conversations, but do so with grace and consideration of things outside of your paycheck, but then at the same time, be motivated by your paycheck. And so it's a really interesting balance of a human being that would make a a really great recruiter of uncommon pairings, I find. So this next topic here we're going to move on to is talking about metrics, which can feel a little dry, but what are your thoughts on this whole time to hire metric? Is it kind of overrated? Yeah. I mean, days to fill is such a commonly used metric, especially an agency. Um, I think it's totally overused. And all it's indicative of is how quickly you're getting a butt in a seat but is that really a measure of a great recruit? In my opinion, no, that is not it. Even a days to fill within an organization isn't necessarily true against each other. So you have a group of recruiting IT professionals that maybe have days to fill of 60 days and then someone filling field roles and they're filling those in 20 days. That doesn't mean that the IT people aren't doing a great job. And IT can sometimes be an extremely intricate and difficult space to recruit in. So how are we even benchmarking our people if we're just using that one number? It's so Mm. flat in the way that it looks at things. Yeah. I don't think it needs to go. We need to be aware of it. If you have one recruiter on your team that's taking three times as long as everyone else, you know, I think that encourages a conversation and a probing into what's happening. But as a measurement of your team's success overall, no, I don't think that's an effective tool. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I know it can be an indicator, but again, I think you you summed it up beautifully because the fact is it's only part of the equation. It's mapping a human 
thing in numbers, which we see time and time again, isn't effective. And, and why are we measuring recruitment success on their activity and not at the outcome of that hire? And, and some companies do, but I don't think with as much focus or as much kind of care of how happy is that candidate? How long are our candidates staying in the seat that came through certain recruiters? What was the experience of the candidate coming into your organization? What is your return rate of candidates who leave and come back to your organization, I think those are a much better indicator of your recruitment process and if it's broken or not versus if you saved five days on getting someone in the seat. For sure. And the biggest part of the equation, or at least 50% of the equation is outside of your recruiter's control. And that's the hiring leader. Oh, yeah. Well, Serge has said it a hundred times. So you tell me you urgently need this. I come back to you and say, I've got, you know, two candidates and they say, oh, well, I'm on vacation till the end of April. <laughs> Classic. Okay. So how is that measuring my success? I absolutely think it's the wrong thing to measure. The other thing is something that you mentioned a second ago, and that was around the behavior that it drives within an agency team. If the idea is just to get that position filled so we can bill it and not concern ourselves with whether or not they're going to have to activate the guarantee because the person stayed three hours. Okay, you've got your days to fill because we did get them to say yes and the person started but lasted three hours, which is so damaging in the long run to your reputation because do you think they'll ever trust you again? No, people don't want to be treated that way. People do not want to be herded like cattle. And that is something when I'm doing intake calls with my clients that I share is I am not your two or three day solution. I'm not going to have candidates to you in two days. I'm not throwing spaghetti at a wall. I am going to consult candidates on if this is the right opportunity for them. I want them to take the evening, talk to your partner. Is this the right job? And I think when we start to rush, that's when we have that huge fall-off rate, which you're right, is just, it's a devastating effect and a huge fallout in recruitment that needs to be fixed for sure. Yeah, it is. And yet when you talk to say those outside of recruitment, whether that be your C-suite, they believe that faster is better. If it's taking longer than 24 hours to get somebody in the chair, then something's broken. It's really incumbent upon us or the leaders in talent acquisition to educate upwards. If speed is what it's all about and not quality, then they need to understand the consequences of doing that, right? Yeah. But we can't no, expect them to, through osmosis, know this. That's where... TA really needs to speak their truth up. Well, absolutely. But I also think there should be better leadership training on how to recruit effectively, even when partnering with subject matter experts like yourself or myself or your internal TA team is what should your expectation be? How should you interview? How long should a process be? What's your average? There's so many interesting Mm -hmm. um, measurements out there on how long it takes for a candidate to lose interest in a job. How long is a candidate likely to stay on all these different pieces that if you walked in with those little tidbits, you'd Mm -hmm. be prepared to have a little more grace during that hiring process. Yeah. And I think to draw the parallel to marketing, do you honestly believe that you put out an ad once and that's all you ever have to do? Yeah. So when you put it in comparison to marketing the company and whatever the company does or sells, did you only ever send out 
one ad once and our clients came running in. But isn't that true back to branding Mm -hmm. and whether it be, yeah, your recruitment branding, your personal brand and how ignorant almost to think that you can come on the scene brand new. Hey, look at my job. Everyone come to me when you have not done any pre-work at all to foster those relationships with external eyes on your company. Yep, it is. And then they're surprised, but I thought recruiting was free, <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, you mean there's a cost? <laughs> oh, I thought you do this for free. Where did you get that idea? Well, wow, really? So and then speak- when you do deliver quickly, honestly, yeah. I don't know if you ever see this being kind of third party when you are able to deliver quickly because of the years of work you've put in, then there's a question on the value of what you're doing. Well, you can just turn this over really quickly. Well, is that really worth this or that. And it's well, no, because I've done this for years and have put in that work of the marketing and branding that I'm able to find someone that quickly. So it's a bit of a double edged sword, to be honest, at the same time, damned if you do damned if you don't. And I think that is an awesome segue to something I wanted to put to you, Kim, because there's so much activity out there. And then people think, well, if there's so much work for recruiters, they decide to hang out a shingle. And dial the clock forward six or seven months, I can almost set my watch by it. They're phoning and going, so do you have any leads or referrals for me? Because they're starving. Yeah. So what does it really take to make a living at this? You just talked about your double-edged sword. What advice would you have for recruiters who are starting to think, if my placement fee is like 25%, I only need to make four placements a month and I'm, you know, living on a private Island and drinking rum drinks. Totally. What's your your advice for people, Kim? When I was uh, in the process of setting Verve up and investigating and looking if it was a good choice for me, I read an article like that of a gentleman who did executive recruitment. He did four placements a year, one a quarter. And then he just lived his best life for the rest of the time. And there are stories that can kind of, you know, lead you down the path of untruths. But, mm-hmm. you know, really the reality is those people are right. You can make way more money on your own than you will through an agency if you are a good biller. Absolutely, hands down. It's a great opportunity to up your income, but it's not as simple as that. I know for me, I always accredit the branding work that I had done ahead of time to my success. I could not have just gone out on my own and had the success that I've had without putting that work in first. And so I think people really need to go and look and go, what does my reality look like outside of this machine that provides me with candidates, Mm -hmm. administrative support, colleague support, all of that is bigger of a picture than people give it credit for Mm -hmm. and think, Hey, I can go out. Another thing too, is that these larger firms, which is typically where people are feeling a bit slighted because they don't get a ton of their own margin and you see how much you're making this company. And then you see your G4 and there's a disparity there. So Kim, I just want to probe a little deeper here on talking about branding. So think back to when you made that decision to go out on your own. Yeah. How much time would you say you have dedicated outside of finding clients, outside of sourcing candidates? How much of your time in those first few years did you spend on marketing and and branding? 
Well, that work was done before I even started work. So that's the thing too, is that you can't start at zero unless you've got income ready to support you for a couple of years. I had to do that work before. Mm -hmm. And that's where big agency doesn't do their staff well is by teaching them about personal branding. And that is a little bit self-serving, right? Because they want to keep you in that machine and they don't want you to believe that you can get outside of that, even though it would ultimately benefit them as an organization to have their staff be well-known and out in the community. There is also the risk that they will then graduate out on their own. And so I would say for me, when I really started investing in it, I was on LinkedIn probably 30 to 60 minutes every day, religiously, completely committed to growing my network. And so connecting with the right people, curating and putting out content, engaging with other individuals. And so it was at that point, when I went out on my own, I had over 20,000 connections already in place. So I knew that I had that database of candidates I could rely on, those clients I could easily touch base with. And that is why I've been able to be successful. I mean, I think I'm good at what I do, but by no means do I think I'm the only good person out there, the only person who could know. But what I've done differently is I set myself up as an individual versus a piece of that machine. Mm-hmm. So I hazard to think it's a little more than an hour a day. Kim, well, honest to God, <laughs> when I think about curating content and deciding what that content is going to be, the message, is it on theme? What's my voice on this topic? Honestly, like I thought you were going to say that you've invested hundreds of hours, if not making that 20 hours a week. What I mean is where I was dedicated to strictly growing my network. I live on LinkedIn and even currently today, probably half my working day, if not more, making sure I'm replying to people, reaching out to people, sending out messaging, things like that. I would start my day and do nothing else, but I had identified who my audience and network who I wanted that to look like. And I would spend that time connecting and building that. I then spend time and it's hard to quantify it because I would create content at weird hours and things like that. And then I post it in the morning and it gets easier with time too. So for me now in conversations, I'll write down notes. Someone will say something that'll trigger an idea or a question. And then I can write that post pretty quickly. And then there are some Mm -hmm. posts that I'll rewrite eight times because I don't like the way it feels and I don't like how I've worded certain things. But I think honestly, it doesn't have to be an eight hour a day thing. It has to be a consistent thing. And that is the key. People think like, oh, I'm going to spend eight hours on LinkedIn today. I'm all done for the week. No, you'd be better off spending 30 to 45 minutes a day, every day on LinkedIn than eight hours one day. Mm -hmm. So this is not something you did after a couple of years at a firm and you did really well and decided to go out on your own, correct? No, not at all. So I started recruiting proper, like full-time and not just a piece of my job in 2013. I was, you know, at a big agency. I worked my way up there. I learned there the logistics of how to build a book of business. And because I was part of a bigger machine, it was very business development focused. We had recruitment support and I knew how to interview and things like that, but that definitely wouldn't have been where I put my strong suit at. 
So then when another opportunity came to me, I thought, what can I learn from this? And that was to run a branch. So then I understood the financials behind. Here's the cost of all of this stuff. Here's how to forecast and understand on a longer scale what I can expect for business. And then because we were a smaller outfit and less known in the community, that's when your creative recruiting has to happen. That's when you're not relying on your big brand name anymore. That's where we got into really active headhunting. That's when we were creative about our job postings, job fairs, things like that. The two of those things together really created for me a full picture. Because when you're on your own, you're on your own. There is nobody there to help you, it can feel very lonely at times. And I think people don't think of that. Even though I'm talking on the phone and communicating with people all day, there are days when I feel very lonely in doing that. And so I think that's something else that people don't think about. And to combat that, I've been proactive at building peer relationships out in the community where I can I mean, you know, you just have a shit day and it's I got to talk bad about what just happened and no one else is going to get it except another recruiter. Like my husband's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. He's going to think it's silly, but I have a gal that I call and I was dealing with just a gnarly human being. And I told her the story and she just was quiet for a second. And then she was like, what a bitch. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I needed to hear. So I think that too, is that people don't set the foundations realizing that even on your own, you need a community to support and be there for you, or you can feel like you're drowning sometimes. Mm -hmm. Great advice, Kim. And I love how you talk about your journey in mastering, first of all, business development. Yeah. Right. And then understand the finances because like the story of the guy who makes four placements a year and lives on an island with his feet in the sand and a, and a fruity rum drink, he didn't get there because he just started yesterday. He probably has been doing it for 25 years. Oh, absolutely. He knows the right people to call. He knows Mm -hmm. the right times of year that he's useful. He probably even from that Island is keeping warm contacts with potential candidates so that when the time is right, he can Mm -hmm. execute on that Mm -hmm. and live that life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot to it. Don't get me wrong. It's been exceptionally rewarding. I love it. And I would never take it back in a heartbeat, but it is not for everyone. It is a feast or famine environment, but yeah, if you're prepared and you put all the pieces together, you can do it. (laughs) Yeah. So the famine is your first year, shake out all the cobwebs. And what I mean by that is if you're going to fuck up, do it in your first year, right? Totally. Because if you fuck up in your seventh year, there's way more at stake and understand that just recruiting is not what you do. No, you are finance. You are marketing and you are business development. So unless you have those other ingredients and you understand risk, Ah. is there a risk? Do you need to have insurance? What kind of insurance do you need to have? Mm -hmm. Like when I talk like that to people who are, you know, thinking I'm going to hang out my own shingle, certainly my first two years, I fucking starved to death. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. I went from a very high paying corporate job, go out on my own. And it was like, Oh, what a glass of cold water in the face. Well, yeah. And just little things that you take for granted, right? I can remember trying to set up 
an email signature and connecting <laughs> my website to my email so that it all came together. And I was watching a YouTube video and pausing every five seconds and trying to execute on what this guy on YouTube was walking me through. And my eyes felt like they were going to start bleeding because I'm like, this is not the way my brain works. So you have to also have that tenacity because I was just starting out. I didn't have money to be hiring an IT person to set all this exactly. stuff up, but it's those little things you take for granted. And when you are working for a corporation mm-hmm. that just, you start on the first day and like, here's all your stuff. <laughs> it's like, you're oh, yeah. that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And uh, to try and do your own invoicing on top of it all. Oh, and yeah. taxes. We have to pay taxes. Oh yeah. On <laughs> every, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> But you're right. There's a lot of help out there and having a good community around you, I think is the difference between success and failure, whether it's somebody to vent to or somebody who's just really smart that you can go to and say, Hey, what did you do for your website? Yeah. It takes a village for sure. And that's another thing, like, honestly, that in big agency, they don't teach you. You would never partner with another agency. There's a very much like we are it, we are the way. And when you break that down and start collaborating with other professionals, there's so much more success to be had. It's crazy. That's honestly probably been one of the best parts for me and going out on my own are the amazing relationships I've made with other professionals in my space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know in my first 11 years was in agency and it was forbidden to speak to somebody who worked at another firm. Forbidden. I think it was even in the employment contract that you were not allowed to speak to other staffing firms for fear that we'd be accused of collusion. That's how it was explained to me. Which is wild to me because I would rather fill a deal and split the fee than keep it to myself and lose it, right? There's so much power in collaboration and that's where recruiters get a bad name is when they hang on to it, like right off the cliff. No, take the hand. (laughs) Yeah. Make your life easier. Awesome. So other than your big debut as a LinkedIn influencer, is that your official title? No, I don't think you ever get that title. You know what? I say to my son, your mom's kind of a a bit of a, a person people know on LinkedIn. And he's like, talk to me when you're on TikTok. That's what he says. So I'm the least cool human he knows. I'm pretty proud. I'm proud of this community that I've built around myself. It's such a wonderful gift, but uh, not cool, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Yes. So do you have anything else exciting coming up? Not really. No, I'm just looking forward to summer. I tell you, we've got 20 degrees this week. What a tease. And then right down to five. Just, I've already got my Advil ready. But I am excited. So we're excited for gardening season over here. We're growing quite the harvest in my backyard. So, oh, good for you. I'm really tired of winter. I'm ready for it to be over. Yeah, I was ready in October for it to be over. <laughs> so, definitely ready now. Well, Kim, thank you. I know we're both super busy, but to take a moment to just connect and share with the audience. So, if anybody needs to find you, how can they find Kim? They can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I live. Just search Kim Wilkinson or Verve Recruitment Group has its own presence as well on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Kim. And I reserve the right to have you come back on and co-host with me again. I would love that. Thank you. Great. Have a great day. 
Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.